Hey everybody and welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I am Joey Pasco, joined by Mr. Ruben Bressler. What is going on, everyone? And of course, Cranny would usually be here, but he could not make it today. Uh, kind of an, uh, a, a rough scheduling period for us so uh, yeah he's uh he's got real life to attend to so. exactly so it'll be You'll just just, just us two i think we're both about to say the same thing <laughs> just us two this time so uh, deal with us today yeah yeah so yeah. B- both of us recovering from uh from this crazy weekend that we had yeah this, this past weekend both of us were there at uh or in charlotte for scg live who did the coverage for charlotte that was That's uh, right that was i thought we did a pretty good job I thought so too. You know, I wasn't watching, but you know, I was there. Felt like we did a good job. Um, well, you were watching from a different perspective. Sure, you were part of it. You saw the what what we as the uh, what what our directors and producers did. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, particular. I was particularly uh, interested to see how our draft coverage would be because we've never done anything like that before. Right. Uh, and I thought that we did a, a pretty pretty darn good job. I agree. Um, I think we should talk a little more about that, but first. Since In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series, we wanted to remind you guys that this coming weekend, the Open Series is coming to Las Vegas, Nevada, with $10,000 prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune in to SCGLive.com and catch Cedric Phillips, Osip Lebedovich, and Glenn Jones in the sideboard, bringing you guys all the action. The Twitter hashtag for the weekend is SCGVegas, so you can use that to join in the discussion. And if you can't make it out, be sure to check out an invitational qualifier tournament near you. You can go to the StarCityGames.com open series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. So, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's uh, you, you want to run down the hashtags? I'm going to quickly run down the hashtags because, uh, you know, we've, we've got a couple topics, but I think we're going to delve pretty deep into them. So we're going to start things off with a standard discussion. The, uh, the standard discussion is going to be hashtag Naya Blitz. Um, we can mostly talk about uh, uh, Quebec City, which also occurred concurrently this weekend, meaning that there were not, was not just the largest Grand Prix ever. There was still another whole Grand Prix happening, as yeah. many of you know. Um, there's some very exciting things happening there, including uh, Giant Growth Aggro. Taking it down, a deck that uh, I, I know in Roanoke, Brad Nelson's been on for a little while. Uh, so much so, in fact, that he released a, uh, a a video, a moto video, of him playing the deck basically the day after the tournament, which means that he recorded the video like two weeks ago. Right. Like, the guy just is is ridiculous when it comes to knowing, like, where the metagame is headed. So, very excited to see Giant Growth winning a major tournament for the first time since, oh, I don't know. The nineties. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's one of our hashtags. Next hashtag: Trenta Pre, larger than a grand A. Pre, <laughs> Large, larger even than a venti. Larger even than a venti pre. This was the largest pre, the grandest pre that has ever been, and we'll discuss that. Um, next up, we have hashtag quid pro quo. This is in reference to uh, several Magic the Gathering professionals and near professionals, big names in the game, uh, and sort of a little bit of the fallout of the largest Grand Prix ever and where it where where the highest level of the game might be headed. Uh, and then we're going to round out our discussion with Kickstarter the Gathering uh, and discuss the uh, 20th anniversary art book that is coming out, the 20th 
anniversary commemoration being put together by some of the game's best artists. Uh, I know Pete Venters had been tweeting a lot about it. And that gets started actually today, a few hours after we record this podcast. So after... Uh, once once you've listened to this podcast, that will already be out. So yes. we'll, we'll give you guys some more information on that as it comes along. But first, let's talk about Standard. Okay. I like Standard. I like Standard, too. Um, haven't, haven't really delved deep into Standard recently, but some interesting developments have occurred since, oh, I started thinking about Standard. <laughs> um, and perhaps most interestingly... Is this Naya Blitz run won by the, he won an 800 person Grand Prix north of the border with Naya Blitz or uh, Giant Growth Agro and that would be Nico Christensen. Yeah. So so as you were mentioning, uh, Brad Nelson has actually been on this deck uh, a little bit different than a, this exact deck, but a yes. similar deck. Yeah, like kind of same concept. Uh, he obviously. As you already mentioned, had has released a video that he recorded before the event. Um, so, so it is interesting how it's funny. You look at, you think of some of the the big stars of Star City Games, you know, as far as pro players go, and you think of Jerry Thompson, you think of Brad Nelson, and it's funny because I look at those two players, and they're they're like the two sides of the same coin. Like Brad seems to be able to solve the metagame early, and Jerry seems to be able to fine tune it at the end. Yep. And That's exactly it, right. That's how I feel about it too. It's it's uh it's really interesting. So of course we're pretty early into a format. Uh today is what, February twenty sixth. And uh so so we've literally had twenty six days of gate crash being legal. Uh so only really a handful of tournaments under our belt and the, the format is still evolving. Um yeah. it's actually crazy, you know, just, just to look back from day one of Return to Ravnica, I think it's never stopped evolving. Like I, I completely agree. Yeah, and there still isn't a best deck in the room. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Aristocrats, and you know the Aristocrats. Well, that that won the Pro Tour the week before, and uh, did not have a particularly impressive showing here. Although there is one copy of the Aristocrats in the top eight, uh, Thomas Holzinger, um, but it was not a particularly popular deck. In the room, uh, from what I understand, people just sort of don't really love the, 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 the deck that won the Pro Tour. The decks that people are sort of becoming attached to, actually, are uh, Jund mm-hmm. with Arbor Elf, uh, which Reed Duke, of course, played last week and this week, and he made the top eight. Um, and also, Owen Turtenwald, I believe, made the finals of the uh, 10K for the win-a-trip-to-GP-Miami-10K. Um, and then, you know, another deck that people are really sort of becoming... Oh, there was another copy of that as well, played by Wilson Wong. Um, people are also very attached to the uh, the new um, Bant, the Wolf Run Bant, right. which I believe there was a copy of in the top eight of, uh, of the GP Miami as well. And then there's a whole bunch of other decks that have sort of popped up every single week. For example, Tzu Ching Kuo. <laughs> of uh, of winning the uh, the world ch- captain of the world champion oh, yeah uh, world magic Chinese Cup. yeah the world cha- the world magic cup Chinese Taipei team was playing uh, Angel of Glory's Rise combo, but that's not really what he was doing. He was playing a different version of that deck. This time, it doesn't gain infinite life um, because you know infinite life can be defeated by oh. 
drown yard. Nefalia drown yard. <laughs> yeah. So he was running Burning Tree Emissary and Under City Informer. Now, basically, the combo is very similar. He's also running the Fiend Hunters and Master of the Wild Hunts. But basically, you bring back Burning Tree, add two mana, bring back Under City Informer, and bring back a Fiend Hunter. Use the two mana to sacrifice the Burning Tree Emissary to mill you with the Under City Informer, then sacrifice the Fiend Hunter, which had covered up an Angel of Glory's Rise to mill them for some more. Angel of Glory's Rise comes back into play, trigger, goes on the stack, and it brings the other humans back, and you repeat the process until your opponent has no more cards in their library. Yeah, so that's something that uh, it's a little little more of a kind of sure thing. So once once you've executed that combo, you know, like you said, infinite life can be defeated. You can't draw cards out of your library. That really uh, that really can't be <laughs> like right. Exactly. So uh, although I I don't think he's playing Master of the Wild Hunt, which is <laughs> what you, you said a minute ago. I, I, no, he's playing he's playing three. Master oh, not, of- not Master of the Wild Hunt. Hunt Master of the Fells. Yeah. Another another <laughs> four mana green creature that makes wolves. Just hunts and masters all over the place. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was just thought that was kind of funny. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think you pointed this out to me when we were in Charlotte, when we were looking at some of the Quebec coverage. Uh, there are uh, are no no blue decks in the top eight. There are uh, zero blue decks in this top eight. Yeah, the first blue deck that shows up looks like uh, 13th place Dave Shields mm. playing uh, a Boros Reckoner deck. Right. Really, uh, you know, Boros Reckoner, Restoration Angel, Snapcaster Mage, that's his creature base. You know, the, the Harvest Pyre, Boros Reckoner combo deck. Um, now, but you will be happy to know that there were, there is a copy of a counterspell in this top eight. And I believe that this card is the card of the tournament. It appeared in two decks. It appears in the winning deck. And that counterspell is Frontline Medic. <laughs> um, very, very important in, in the, uh, the Naya Blitz deck specifically. Um, there are very few things that you want to pay three mana to do in a 20 land deck, but this is one of them, and it has two very, very relevant abilities. First of all, being a 3-3 three, three for three is fine. I mean, this deck is running Boros Elite and Flinthoof Boros, so 3-3 three, three, three for three is actually overpaying. Yeah. Um, but Battalion allows you to just attack with at your whimsy. Yeah, the, the 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 battalion attack on frontline medic. Second, also very very important, is keeping bonfire of the damned in check, because that card kills all of your creatures, very it, it, it somewhat easily. Yes. So if you have Boros Elite, Mayor of Averbrook, and Lightning Mauler in play, you you might feel like you're you know high in the sky hopes, but uh, bonfire for one hard cast from your hand would still ruin your day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Bonfire is a bit of a problem. It also shuts down Sphinx's Revelations and the occasional syncopate on something that you need to resolve or, oh, I don't know, what are some other good X spells? Clan Defiance, if that thing is seeing play yet. I mean, I think it's mainly, you know, you, you're you going to hit Bonfires, you're going to hit uh, Sphinx Revelation, and then maybe if somebody accidentally forgot to side out their Rakdos returns or somehow sided sure. in against you, uh, you could counter that. I mean, th- those are the X spells that I think of being played in standard right now. Right. And the, the, the other thing about this um, Naya Blitz deck that I really want to point out, the main difference, I believe, is that Nico, between Brad's and Nico Christensen's, I believe, is that Nico's running Searing Spear, and I don't think Brad was. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, 
looked at Brad's list. I've just but been the, the sideboards are very similar. Uh, the control package of Boros Charm and Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, as well as an aggro package in the sideboard of another card from way, way back in the day, finally starting to see standard play after 15 years in existence, Pacifism, and uh, a couple Fiend Hunters. And rounding out the rest of the sideboard is Near Hearth Pilgrim, and a card that this podcast has a little bit of interest in, Gruel Charm. Mm-hmm. It's a we have we have a soft spot for uh, for gruel charm. Yeah, of course. So I, I just think it's uh it's interesting, you know the when, when you think of standard, you know, and you try to say okay, standard, especially if you just go back a few days, uh, you know, to Friday, say, um, if you were to name one card that standard is currently revolved around, what would you what would what's the first card that you think? Well, you last week's Pro Tour was a Sphinx's Revelation tournament. Sh- sure. I guess what I was trying to get you to say was Boros Reckoner. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, okay. I guess I guess actually you're you're more right than I am. Last week was Boros Reckoner. That was that card breaking out like big. That was that was definitely those two cards were the top two cards of the tournament. Yeah. And Reckoner I think is, you know, the the hot card right now and um you know people a lot of people talking about it. Of course we we talked about it on the show when we were talking when we were just when it was just spoiled, when it, before the set was released, uh, only eight copies in the top sixteen of Quebec, which is very interesting. Just uh, four in the top eight, and that was yeah. Thomas Holzinger's deck. And then, of course, Dave Shields uh, playing the only, you know, or the first uh, spell deck, yeah, blue deck that w- that's available as far as the seeding goes. There uh, were more Arbor Elves in this top eight than there were Boros Reckoners. No, the, I don't really know that that means really anything. It's not like Reckoner's bad, suddenly. No, it doesn't mean anything. It's uh, just that people were coming into this tournament prepared for for uh, for those decks because, you know, you look at the you look at the elimination spells that, uh, for example, Felipe Tapia Becerra, who is the number one seed going into the top eight, uh, Abrupt Decay, Dreadbore, Tragic Slip, and yeah. also Brimstone Volley, but, uh, you know, clearly going in Knowing that he has to deal with uh, Boros Reckoner, you look at Reed Duke's list: two abrupt decays, tragic slip, two murder. Yeah, I lo- love to see that. Yeah, murder is a great one. Even- uh, Thomas Holzinger's uh, Aristocrats deck obviously has Orzov Charm. So victim uh, of night in the uh, the sixteenth place list, Max Schuchat. Sure. Three copies, two in the main and one in the board. So, Victim of Night, another card that hadn't we hadn't really seen a lot of, but starts. I've I've been seeing it in lists lately, just because you know there's there's actually not that many vampires, werewolves, and zombies out there that are uh, that are so troublesome. Yep. So, I want to focus on just for just a moment on this angel, new Angel of Glory's Rise list. Okay. Um, this appears to have been well. Also, the ninth place list, Shi Tian Li, mm-hmm. also played the same deck. Um, it's do you what do you think about this new version of this deck? Uh, I mean, I think it does. I mean, we've already said it twice. It says, you know, it has once the whole idea of the deck is you're trying to execute this combo, and that's how combo decks work. You know, you want to execute your combo, and you want your combo to win. Uh, you want it to just win on the spot, and this version. I mean, does, uh, as opposed to the Infinite Life version. Of course, yeah. Infinite Life is <laughs> nothing to scoff at either, but uh, but I do, I think, prefer this version 
of the deck just because of the combo being uh, much more of a, of a sure thing sure. Uh, than, than the previous now, version. Esper Control was not that big of a factor in this tournament, but the week before it certainly was. Yeah. Um, and the Value Drown Yards were, were a much bigger piece of the puzzle. Um, but this week, aggro decks were, were bigger, and I think that one of the big things that, that this deck is able to do is be able to play turn two Burning Tree Emissary in a not aggro deck, which I think is very interesting. Like, you can go uh, Burning Tree Emissary into either Farseek or Mulch, or if you have nothing else to do, Faithless Looting. Yeah. And I, that is not a small deal. I think that that's, uh, that that's got a little bit of... Uh, that, that, that interests me, I should say. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of sick when you think, I'm, I'm going to spend my second turn playing a creature and casting Farseek. Right. <laughs> like, already we've got Farseek being uh, mentioned as one of the best cards in the format. Some people say it is the best card of the format, or it is you know one of the cards the format revolves around. Um, I believe Zach Hill was referring to it as a time walk, and I, I yep. you know, it is a time walk. You're, you're, you're playing an extra land, you're getting an extra card. It's a land, but you know that's <laughs> it's uh, pretty much a time walk, or the closest thing this format has to it, and. Uh, and here you're not only getting a time walk, but you're you're getting it kind of for free. You're getting the creature and then uh, and then the, the actual far seek. So that's that's a you know the, the best opening you can hope for, really. Mm-hmm. Or one of the best openings you can hope for. So uh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and of course, it's even part of the combo as you were you were mentioning. Like you can just use that mana when uh, when the angel of glories rise reanimates the the burning tree emissary mm-hmm. you, you get the uh you get the mana to activate the undercity informer uh twice and then uh you know do it all over again so you don't actually need any mana once you've got the angel of glory's rise it doesn't require any sort of mana and you can keep you know activating the the informer's ability so uh i like it yeah i also would uh i'm, I'm very interested to see where Giralf's messenger goes from here because we have uh, Felipe Tapia Becerra's list, and then also 16th place was a black-white zombies list. Yeah, we've been seeing black-white zombies pop up a little bit here and there. It's kind of what, yeah, interesting. It's, I think that that's a, that's a little bit of a response to um, uh, Boros Reckoner being so popular, is that people like having the white to be able to um, either, you know, Victim of Night, or, uh, I'm sorry, not Victim of Night, uh, Orzhov Charm, mm-hmm. Or to Restoration Angel, yeah. Uh, in the black white zombies, um, this particular list does not have Restoration Angel. It does instead have Cartel Aristocrat uh, to be able to um, sort of negate the the Spite Mare ability on Boros Reckoner. Uh, after after blockers are declared, you can sacrifice the creature to prevent uh, any any further damage coming from the Minotaur Wizard, right? Um, but the green-black list at the top mm-hmm. is uh, something that people were expecting to be the best deck in the format week one. And it never came about, really. Are, are um, you, this you is talking week one post-gate crash or week, week one, one post-return post to Ravnica? <laughs> long yeah. time ago. Um, and this is actually a Jund list um, because obviously now you get a slightly... Slightly better mana, although he's not running Stomping Grounds. Um, he's running four Cavern of Souls instead to be able to play all of his zombies. Um, but yeah, this finally Lotleth Troll 
being uh, being a player in this metagame. Yeah, it looks like uh, in this particular list, in uh, Felipe's list, uh, the top seeded list going into the top eight, um, the only red spells are three Brimstone Volley and four Falconrath Aristocrat. So it's it's sort of splashing red for those. Um, yeah, and you can actually, always I'm sorry, just, there's a Dreadbore too, one copy of Dreadbore. But but all those cards are cards that you can afford to not have the turn that you like. You don't need Brimstone Volley turn three. You don't need Falconrath Aristocrat turn four. Exactly. They, they they maintain much of their potency as the game goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Dreadbore. You know, same thing. You don't need it turn two for sure. Right, <laughs> so. Exactly. Uh, so going into this weekend, we have Vegas coming up since, you know, since we're talking standard, we've got a standard tournament coming up in just a few days. Um, you think, you think there'll be maybe more blue decks in the, in the top eight, you think? <laughs> Cause that's all Boy. I'm concerned with. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. I mean, you look at, at Michael Siegel's winning deck from the winning trip to Miami and it's reanimator. And you look at all these other decks from, from Quebec city and there's just not a ton of blue anywhere, really. I mean, there's Wolf Run Bant in the top eight of the Win a Trip to Miami tournament. Yeah. There's an Esper Control in the top eight of that tournament. Those decks didn't do anything in the top eight. The finals was Owen Turtenwald's Arbor Elf Jund against Michael Siegel's Reanimator. Um, and uh, those cards just, I mean... They, they just, these decks just match up really well against Sphinx's Revelation. You know, your, your opponent's Sphinx's Revelation for six isn't great when your opponent is unearthing Craterhoof Behemoths. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think also that's a function of the, like, kind of the state of the format right now. It's volatile. Like, it's changing. It keeps keeps shifting at this point. It's very early, and I think a lot of the, you know, the blue decks want to be control decks generally. I mean, you look at Dave Shields' deck, it's not really as much of a control deck as it is something kind of like a tempo deck. Um, and it's kind of a combo deck as well. Uh, you know, the control decks, they need to kind of know what's going on <laughs> before they can... You know, they, they need to know what to fight so they know what weapons to bring. And uh, I, I still feel like, you know, Esper Control is a strong choice. Uh, or it's, it's, a, it's an acceptable choice, I'll say that. Um... And I think the ones that are doing well, you know, you said that the top eight of the uh, the Miami 5K tournament, or I, which was a 10K, uh, I think, you know, sometimes these, these lists are the ones that are kind of either bringing the right cards, a combination of bringing the right answers and getting the right matchups to get where they're going. Uh, but I still feel like there's there's an Esper list in there somewhere that's uh, it's just yet to be really cracked at this point. But I, I think this weekend might be a might be prime for a uh, a comeback for the the blue decks, namely Esper. I am not convinced. Okay, we'll see. You know, sometimes it's just I'm I'm being you know hopeful. Hopeful. <laughs> I understand that you always want blue cards to be on top, but it's actually uh, funny because I, I can see the 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 upside of this too. Even though, like, I I want to see blue decks doing well because I want to look at lists and say, okay, what are they doing? Because I want to. Yeah, but you know. when you're taking seventy five thousand from the Naya Blitz deck on turn three, <laughs> and you're t- and you're unearthing Craterhoof Behemoths on turn four to attack for the whole life total, or you're milling your entire deck on turn four, uh, you know, slow grindy games with Sphinx's Revelation and trying to two for one your opponent with Boros Reckoner, they just they aren't great. 
Well, crossing my fingers for uh, Force Spike and Counterspell in uh, Dragon's Maze. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, I guess uh, I guess you want to move on to uh, to some other Grand Prix discussion. Yeah, let's let's turn our attention now to the Grandest Prix. Yeah, the, the that would be Grand Prix. Prix Charlotte. Yeah, we were uh, we were both there this past weekend. Of course, uh, I, I hope you guys caught some of the coverage. Uh, it was. Obviously, a limited event. It was uh, day one was sealed. Day two was well. It was supposed to be all draft, but there was a little bit of sealed there in the beginning of the day, just due yeah. to the sheer number of players and therefore the number of rounds that needed to be run. But yeah, sealed and, and draft. And so you know that's where my head has been for for weeks now. In fact, I uh, I have yet to play an actual game of post gate crash standard because I've been focused so much on preparing for. Grand Prix Charlotte. You did a great job, buddy. Don't you? Don't you even worry about it. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, anybody who has been listening to the show or uh, or listened to me on Yo MTG Taps knows that limited was not my format of choice. But I will say, uh, after after all this preparation and and you know all this kind of saturating myself in Gate Crash Limited, I'm like. Itching to draft and build sealed decks now. Yeah, it's man. Like I'm I'm supposed to you know play cards this week and you know with the guys that I usually play constructed with and I'm I'm kind of like well, I kind of just rather bring yeah, my rather just tracks yeah. and see if I can get everybody to draft. Exactly. Uh, it's it's really really a fun format and I had a blast doing the uh, the coverage of it. Of course, um, we had we had a battalion of commentators. Uh, Mike Flores had more and, than a battalion. Uh, yeah, t- we we did. We had a battalion, and uh, and we had a, Patrick a Chapin filling in a couple times. We had Tom yep. Martell do some uh, draft commentary as well. Um, let's just quickly talk about that. About you know, you, you kind of mentioned it. We we did something that uh, SCG Live has never done before with uh, you know covering an actual draft, not the not just the matches, but the actual draft itself. Um, kind of doing the the over the shoulder cam kind of thing as we've seen uh, on on Pro Tour coverage. Before. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to give a a shout out to a couple people. I think that all of the directors and producers at Star City Games that were working that weekend that we have very talented people. They deserve to be recognized. So just real briefly, Jeremy Knoll, Jesse Snyder, Jonathan Choi, uh, Shoebox, Daniel Schoenbach, and Carrie Ruthenberg. All deserve lots of credit for how well that turned out because it's, we've never done anything like it before, um, and it, it looked great. I mean, I, every time I looked over there, it just looked awesome. It sounded awesome. The editing was great. Uh, it kept everybody involved in the tournament, and I can't wait to do that again. Yeah, that was a really that was a lot of fun. It was something I was looking forward to, and uh, you know, partly just because I want to watch the, the players draft. Uh, partly because I wanted to see how how well things were going to be able to uh, you know to come together, and it was it was just perfect. Um, yeah. Also, big props to uh, to Matt Thorne, Evan Irwin. Uh, who else would have been involved in that? I, and uh, Chris Millard were the were the guys who would uh, who put that stuff together too. So I think that that was one. That, I mean, I I've rarely been more proud of something that uh, that I've done. Than uh, than what the uh, media department did this weekend. Yeah, so if you happen to miss the coverage, I believe the archives will be up 
within any day now. But oh, absolutely, yeah. What we ended up doing was we, we recorded a live draft, uh, or we watched a live draft and did the commentary on it. And at the same time, another player at the same table was Different the... Oh, well, did, well, we we had, I guess for the top eight, it was a the same it was the table. same table, yeah. So another player in the draft was being recorded. So while the 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 building process was going on, uh, we were able to actually just do commentary on another draft, and in uh, you know for the most part, we had no idea what what was uh, what the other player drafted. So it was essentially live both times. Uh, you know, as from a commentary perspective, and it was it was very cool. Even even cooler that um, I think three quarters of the players we covered made top eight. Right? It was yeah, Ben Stark, like Gerard Fabiano, and uh, and Patrick Sullivan. and Patrick Sullivan. Yeah. So we uh, that the fourth player being Bobby Victory, who uh, who was near the top of the standings and uh, did not make top eight, but uh, it, it, that was really cool because we got to follow just certain players through the course of day two. That, yep. was, that was really cool. Uh, Patrick Sullivan, just really, he was he was kind of the talk of the tournament, even on, starting on day one, because he had just built uh, out of his sealed deck just a crazy Boros deck, yep. and uh, you know, at, he's pretty good at, at casting red spells. So he is. There are few, <laughs> there are few better at casting red spells. Um, so this was the largest Magic tournament of all time. Um, Kind of shattered expectations, shattered the record. So while we were at the tournament, uh, you know, we weren't exactly sure about uh, how many to expect, but it's safe to say expectations were much lower. Um, I think, you know, we started hearing numbers at the end of day one that, or not end of day one, that end of Friday. Yeah, that the were ridiculous. Were around, yeah, yeah. seventeen hundred. I think once Friday was finished, you know, once. Uh, pre-registration was closed. It was somewhere around 1,950 players or something. Absolutely. We were pushing 2,000 the night before the tournament, and that's just just ridiculous numbers. Like, we heard that, and we were like, wow, that's... I, I, we had no idea what to expect because uh, we had this pre, pre-registration period for so long that we didn't know if that was going to be 90% of the players that were signing up and we were just going to have a small amount of players the morning of or if it was going to be the the normal uh, percentage of players because uh, we didn't know exactly how many people had uh, had had seen our promotion, our gpcharlotte.com uh, blowout spectacular website uh, and we, we just didn't know where the line was. It turns out that it was still, uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a not a, a huge percentage. It was just the normal percentage that we normally get from uh, the night before, which meant that this event was so much larger than anyone had expected, um, and so much larger than any other Magic tournament had ever been. That we just we were we were blown away. Yeah, think about it this way: we we did. We had another Grand Prix, as we just discussed, in Quebec City, and there were just over 800 players in that event. Uh, if you just take the players that registered for Charlotte after pre-registration closed Friday night, you've got almost the same same number of players. Yeah, nearly like over 700 or roughly 700 players uh, just registering on Saturday morning. Yeah, you could have split. Uh, Grand Prix Charlotte into three different Grand Prix. 
and, and still had an SCG all, open left it, over. <laughs> and still had a little bit of an SCG open left over. And all three Grand Prix would have been larger than Quebec City. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was insane. So that said, I think uh, something you know that's come up. Uh, well, first of all, I I thought from my perspective and just seeing how things were being run, as far as you know, we got out of there by midnight on Saturday, and the tournament finished by 10 p.m. on Sunday. Those, oh yeah, those that's like you know that's the typical SCG Open. In fact, it's probably good. You know, if an SCG uh, open event ends around those times. Like that's acceptable. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, and and we've got we've got some of the best in the world running our events, and that's that's why we're Star City Games. Is we've got you know Jared Silva, Callie Anderson, and and the rest of the crew running the tournaments in such such a great uh, pace. And also the judges deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, uh, Lems and Chris Richter. Uh, that would be I believe it's Jason Lemahue. Uh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, doing great, great work at such a massive tournament. Yeah, um, I just, major shout out to those guys. Uh, I, I said it on Twitter, like, Saturday and then on Sunday, and then I think on Monday again, because I was so impressed that they were able to go, hey, we expected this many players, but uh, almost twice that many showed up, or, you know, a thousand more players showed up than we ever expected, and we we're still able to run the event in a reasonable way we were you know they were able to adapt to right. that many players and you know i think there's players out there you know you kind of look at the hashtag gp charlotte and you see what some people are posting on twitter and some people are saying you know that they don't think the event was run well and it's like you probably have no concept of what exactly what yeah. they did because if you you know maybe from a uh base perspective if you are not thinking anything outside of the tournament was supposed to start at this time, but it started later than that. Well, if you're going to use that as your uh, metric for the tournament being run well, well, I, you know, you're, you're missing a lot of <laughs> information. I remember, I remember at one point I had to carry the box of day two deck lists. Um, so, and by day two, what I mean is actual day two. We had day 1.5 in the morning, um, which, I, which I was calling the, the do or die round. Um, and then after that, they collected up the day two deck lists. Just the box of day two deck lists was heavier than like most events. Yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable how, uh, just how much adjustment was required to run this event. And I mean, I thought they did a great job of adapting. And I think that's, I, I think that there's a video recording somewhere of when everyone is starting to open their packs right at the beginning of day one. Mm hmm. And it sounds like the rainforest. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Uh, you know, you and I standing there with all these players opening their packs, and it was so quiet. It was just you just hear this rustling, and it it was awe inspiring. It was great. I kept getting chills while we were there. It just yeah. every time I thought about how many players were in the room opening packs, so uh, and and just about to to just play this this format. So um, without you know con- continuing to fawn over. The the size of the event and the scope of the event, uh, I think we, you know, kind of, this event has brought up, or at least continued to keep this topic uh, kind of as a hot topic over the past few weeks, which is, you know, the players at the top level, this is the, uh, you know, our quid pro quo hashtag, uh, the players at the top level are expressing some concerns about the how big of a factor 
the number of Grand Prix are the number of Grand Prix are, and and it's you know a lot of players you see like Kibler has written an entire article about it. Uh, LSV has expressed some concerns on Twitter and things. Yeah, um, there are a lot of pros. Also, in addition, are, are Paul yeah. Reitzel, um, Matt Sperling. There's a lot of players, and then of course there are players that are that are world travelers that you don't typically think of as the up the uppest uppest echelon of the game, like Christian Calcano. Yeah, he's been pretty um, much going to every going to a Grand Prix at every opportunity. Right, he's going to Yokohama like this weekend. So, you know, th- th- it's very, very difficult for these pros to maintain this lifestyle. And I think that uh, GP Charlotte just sort of um, reignited that discussion because of how difficult the event was uh, from a pro player's perspective. Yeah, so I think uh, just to, to sort of, I guess, give us the, the, the surface perspective is that the, the Grand Prix and the number of, of them, it's kind of set up so that it's an all-or-nothing thing. Like, if you... You almost need to go to all of them if you're going to make Grand Prix a part of your way to to qualify for the Pro Tour or to maintain your level or to achieve, you know, gold or platinum. You need to pretty much go to all the Grand Prix or you need to say, I'm, I'm just not going to go to any because it's really not worth it to just go to one and spike it. Right. So it's almost not, you know... It, for for a player like you or me, I think we'd be pretty excited about that. But players at the top level, like Kibler and LSV, and you know these guys that we've mentioned, um, going to one Grand Prix and spiking it is not enough to to achieve the levels that they need to, uh, or th- that they need to continue their you know professional Magic lifestyle. And I think yeah, think about think about this, Patrick Sullivan. Mm-hmm. He's no he's no slouch at Magic. He got third or fourth at this Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. He played 19 rounds, or he, he himself played 17 rounds of Magic. Mm-hmm. He had two buys. He, play, he, he, he went through 19 rounds of Magic. He, even if, and now he's qualified for his hometown Pro Tour in San Diego. Congratulations. That is lovely, right? Yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. <clears throat> Let's say he does really, really well at that Pro Tour. Let's say he even gets third or fourth place at that Pro Tour. That's a shocking achievement. <clears throat> did you know that he won't even be platinum if he does that? I did know, but uh, <laughs> only well, because I, I saw the same, the the same, same, same tweets. tweets. I was mostly talking to our uh, to our audience there. Yes, of course, yeah. But, it, and but that that's just a ridiculous absurd. fact, yeah. The so, fact that you can get top four at a Pro Tour and not be you know qualified, really, for the next season is... Ridiculous. Yeah, so it seems like something needs to be done. Now, now I actually I want to express that there's the other side of things in which most of us uh, fans of the game, fans of the of watching these professional players play, uh, our perspective, and, and I've seen a lot of people say this, like, you know, this is this is even worse than first world problems, right? <laughs> we need a hashtag for for these the, the pro level problems or something because you know these guys. Ryan Kibler's in the Hall of Fame. What does he care, right? Uh, it, it's these guys are at the top level. What are they whining about? And um, I think you know that's that's a valid perspective too, because there's players out there just that are that would love to be in that position where, like, hey, I, every weekend I get to, or I'm, I'm going to travel to a to a uh, a Grand Prix, and 
this is my lifestyle. And that sounds not play the game, see the world. You know, I'm, that's what I want. That's everything I want. Uh, so why are you complaining? Uh, and that's a reasonable opinion too. And I think really the, the way I've been trying to look at it is kind of step back a little bit and go, what does, what's good for the game? What does wizards want? What does wizards want to have, you know, superstars at the top level. I imagine they do. Uh, and if that's the case, and, and presuming that's the case, they kind of do need to do something about this because you're going to have these players looking at things and going, it's not worth it. Uh, it's, it's not worth traveling every weekend and, you know, basically paying... Because uh, a lot of players get appearance fees... But it doesn't typically cover, you know, the tournament performance right. and, and the appearance fees have gone down. <clears throat> excuse me for grand prix in recent years to the point where, you know, it's it's really not feasible for for players to make a to be professional to be professional magic players. Right. Essentially, the the players are paying to play still, just like everybody else, just like I would if I were to fly, you know, to exactly. To and a lot of people are like, oh, boo hoo, they don't get paid to play magic, whereas I you know, play magic for fun. But you, there's a couple things. One is this, they've decided to try to make this their job. And I understand that, um, that, that there's not a lot of sympathy out there for players who are, who are like, Oh, they, they, they can't play magic for a living. Woo, boo hoo. Right. But this is what they, you know, their livelihood before was, this is what they are trying to do as their job. And so it's, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a more difficult system to try to, to make a living at. The other thing is that people are saying things along the lines of, well, if they don't, you know, if, the, if these highest level players don't play, then someone else will. You know, there's always going to be more players. I think that it's my opinion that some of that is acceptable, but some of that is, you know, you know, come, come play against the best of the world that decided to play this weekend. Right. Isn't nearly as exciting. You know, when you're saying that, oh, the best in the world are playing it's not really the best in the world. It's the best in the world that decided to keep playing magic. Exactly. And the other thing, I mean, if, if the top, we'll just, you know, broadly call it the top there. If the top is an uncomfortable place to be financially and, you know, uh, just on your lifestyle as it has become for, for some of these players, as they mentioned, uh, those players stop. Now there's new people at the top. You think they're, they're going to suddenly be like, this is totally cool. Like eventually they're going to go, this is, this isn't great. Like Kibler was right. Yeah, I'm gonna. The stop. turnover. Yeah, the just, turnover is gonna be to the point where the best players in the world are going to be independently wealthy young men that can afford to lose money on this hobby. Right, and even so, even even players like that, uh, it's it's kind of brutal to travel every weekend. Like I know Agreed. how much, uh, yeah, and, and you know how much uh, of a toll it takes to just go and cover these events and I'm doing it, you know, once a month on average or something like that. And, you know, right. I'm doing it once, maybe twice, sometimes three times a month. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not in the trenches. Right. I'm not, you know, you, you know, this is actual gladiatorial battle. You're, you're sending your mind into battle against someone else's mind. And once you get to later rounds, they're just as smart and as clever as you are. And that is very difficult, like strain, pressure on your brain and it, it exhausts you yeah. and uh and i'm not even doing that i'm trying to figure out other problems like uh how do i get this person in a feature match or 
you know, uh, who are we putting in the booth next round? Right. You know. Yeah, and, and at least there's some flexibility there, uh, you know, on the coverage side of things where, like, hey, I, I need to get food. Right. <laughs> I, I can take a round off because we're going to have somebody else in the booth. That's not how it works for the players. Exactly. You know, they have between rounds to figure out their food situation or hope that they have friends that maybe dropped out and can go pick up pick up some food that, you know, they can scarf down in the 10 minutes between rounds or something. Uh, so it's it's tough. And... Um, so, so something I something's going to need to be done. Yeah. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where the solution is coming from, but something needs to happen. Yeah, I think the best the best idea I've heard is to just count maybe the best X number of Grand Prix uh, finishes. Right. So, so like maybe the people top are year. saying like your top five or top seven Grand Prix finishes. Right. So if you go to twenty and you do well at you know ten of them. Then you're only your best five count, but hey, that that's cool. Or if you just go to five, that's your best five. Whatever, like your your top finishes are all that that actually matter, and that seems to make sense to me because you know it's you, not an all or nothing situation. Exactly. Uh, although what that does do is, you know, I keep using Kibler as an example, but he he asked for it. He wrote an article, so uh, Kibler shows up to just five Grand Prix and says, you know what, I'm that's that's good enough for me. Um, I'm not going to go to other ones. And the the fact is, Kibler being at, at an event is an attraction for other players. So Kibler now says, you know, I'm not going to any more Grand Prix. Uh, players out there go, well, I would have gone, but like none of the pro players or not that many pro players are going to be there that I kind of wanted to meet. I mean, the fact is that people do want to meet the pro players. They want to get their picture taken or get, get their card signed. Ask the, uh, you know, ask Kibler Chapin. Jerry, Brad, and Mike about the meet and greet and how many tokens, uh, Star City tokens they signed over the weekend in Charlotte. You know, like if there wasn't a market for that, uh, those guys would have said, yeah, I signed about 10, 12 tokens. No, I bet you they signed hundreds of tokens. Oh yeah. I bet they were pushing four digits. Yeah. So, uh, there's a market for that and there are players that come out to the event uh, or at least that's a major reason they come out to the event. Sure, it's great to to play Magic all weekend, um, but a lot of players can say, well, I'll just go to my local store and play Magic all weekend if there's no other reason to go to a Grand Prix uh, or, or not enough of a reason. So it's something to consider, you know, on that, uh, you know, if you're just going to count the top five, although I still think that's the currently the best idea that I've heard. Um, we, we don't need to keep... Keep talking about this. I think we kind of hashed it out. Yeah, we'll see. I think that uh, you know it, this is going. This is something that um, Helene Bergeau and the organized play people are going to have to sort out, or not. Like they could just ignore it and see what happens. Yeah, I think if if we've learned anything over the years, um, Wizards is definitely willing to make changes based on player reaction, player uh, feedback. So absolutely, um, and. Some players have louder voices than others, and those tend to be top-level Hall of Fame players. They're they're going to be heard, and they're going their voice is going to reach more people. And uh, so, I think I imagine something is going to be done uh, about. I I would agree. So we'll see what happens. Um, uh, as for the the future of Grand Prix, I think we're <laughs> we're in. We're in for a lot of high, uh, high number, high attendance. We're, we're in uncharted territory here. Yeah, I, I kind of, I was saying this to, to my girlfriend. I was telling her, you know, it's the biggest Magic the Gathering tournament ever. 
But the the crazy thing is, I don't think the record's going to stand that long. I I would agree. I think that there are several Grand Prix coming up that have a chance to break it. Uh, chief among them is Grand Prix Las Vegas yeah. later this summer. Um, I think definitely has has a chance to to uh, to to notch itself in that slot. Although you know, Modern Masters is an intimidating looking format to to new players, whereas this one certainly wasn't nearly as intimidating. I think that uh, the like lots of things came together to make Grand Prix Charlotte the success that it was. It was the first um, first Grand Prix in Gate Crash. Um, which is a very popular sealed format. Uh, in Return to Ravnica block, which is a very popular block. In Charlotte, which is a city that's easy to get to, being run by Star City Games, who's very good at their jobs. Um, <laughs> it was right after a pro tour that Tom Martell won. Tom Martell is a very popular figure in the game that is that a lot of people wouldn't look at immediately and see as the best of the best of the best players, even though he's very good. I think that people were like, if Tom Martell has this level of success, maybe, you know, maybe a jovial guy like me can win. Uh, Therese Nielsen was on the East Coast for yeah. like the first time ever. And if you looked at her line all weekend, it was ridiculously long. I think that that was no small part. Uh, the pro player meet and greet, being able to meet all of the other artists that were there, the the 10k that was originally a 5k uh the gold rush promotion i mean these are all things that came together that's that you know any one of those things could have added a little bit of pop of of popularity could have added a few people but all of them together just created this massive tournament and so i think that it's possible you know certainly some of it is the fact that magic is gaining in popularity there's, there's no question that Magic is more popular now than it's ever been, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, just because it's more popular doesn't mean that this specific Grand Prix would have done it. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, it's a number of factors. So we'll see Vegas, another uh, pretty popular destination. Absolutely. Uh, Modern Masters as a format, you know, we have we have no idea really what's in that set. We know Tarmogoyf. Reference as to how popular that set's going to be. The only frame of reference we have is that uh, Masters Edition Online is a popular uh, thing to draft. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens with Vegas. I'm kind of uh, looking forward to see how things. And I'm going to be uh, playing in Vegas, so well, I'm interested as well. Well, they've got one player already. So yep. you know. <laughs> At least it's going to have one. So, uh, I so let's, think, let's uh, talk about this, um, real briefly, we'll talk about this gathering book. Yeah, speaking of making history, we've got 20 years of magic history yeah. to look back on, and uh, we mentioned it a couple episodes ago, the, uh, the artists, especially a lot of the artists from the early days of the game, Anson Maddox, Pete Venters, uh, Jesper Muirforce, uh Dan Frazier, all those kind of old school artists that whose art we haven't seen in years, or some that we have seen in the past few years. Uh, you know, maybe Mark Teden, I believe, is probably in on it. He was one of the early days, uh, one of the artists of the early early days of Magic. Anyway, these guys have decided to get together, put together a book. Uh, it it is at least at this point called The Gathering, and it is a 20th anniversary commemorative art book that uh, 
that will be coming out this year. The Kickstarter is launching later today. We will link it in the show notes. It, I believe it's 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's, it's yep. currently 12.46, so I, I don't have any other details, but uh, in an hour and 15 minutes, that will be live. So you guys can, uh, by, this, by the time you hear this, you can go check it out. We'll link it. Uh, I, I will have the link available to uh, to put in the show notes by the time we send this into uh, Star City. Right. And um, this is um, oh, this is going to have thirty, at least thirty of the game's artists um, with a new art book. It's certainly something that uh, that I want. You know, sitting on my table. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not this is not from Wizards of the Coast. Actually, this is a something that where the artists got together and said, you know, I think that uh, that this is something that we should be doing. Yeah. And so they have they they've they've gotten together and they've put this thing together. And if you want to learn more, we'll put links in the bottom. Uh, they also have a Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook.com slash the Gathering Art Book. Yes, they've been uh, posting some little uh, snippets of art. Not nothing full, like no full art, but they've been yeah, posting big, little snippets. But uh, you know, just something, little something to, to wet your whistle um, before you you donate to the uh, to the to the cause. Yeah, I think uh, essentially the book's just going to be all new art from all these classic magic artists, and it's all going to be kind of magic related art. I believe they've got like a some sort of go ahead from wizards. As far as, you know, they need, I believe, some permission for as far as, like, intellectual property kind of thing, I, I imagine. I'm yeah, not I don't, entirely sure, but... Uh, I'm not too... I don't ex- know exactly what this is, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Whatever it is, it seems pretty exciting, so you guys can check that out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's about all we've got for this week. Uh, anything you wanted to add, Ruben? No, that's about it. Um, I believe I have a news and Coming out next Monday. This is a very special edition of the evening that I recorded at the Pro Tour. Wow, I'm looking forward to that one. So yeah, um, this will this will have uh, a couple of, uh, of of things that I wrote at the Pro Tour. I was writing these jokes as uh, as the top eight was coming into view. I wrote these jokes. I then recorded it the next morning in the play area. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what people, uh, what people think of this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it'll be Monday. Um, I, uh, I took a bunch of photos at Charlotte. I believe I'm going to put those up later today in some sort of gallery or something online. And, uh, I will, if I do that, I will put the link in the show notes so you guys can check those out. Uh, one of the pictures that stood out to me, I, that's what made me think of it is I ha- I, you mentioned Therese Nielsen's art line, and uh, I took a shot of the line and with yeah. the, the guy in the back with a, a sign with on the him. the sign on him, yeah. It says, Therese's line is closed for the day. And, uh, you know, he's the last guy in line. He's got that sign taped to his arm. And uh, so you guys can uh, Yeah, that without that sign, she would have never left. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that was entirely necessary. So uh, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter... Ruben is Mox Ruby, R-E-U-B-Y. Cranny, of course, is missing, but he is at K-Stube. And Shout I, out to K-Stube. That's right. Uh, I think there's a new episode of Joy of Cubing, uh, Cranny's, Cranny's other podcast. It's Usman. Usman yeah. talking about artifacts this week. Yeah, so it's a uh, uh, new episode of that you guys can check out. Um, and, of course, on Twitter, I am at Affinity for Blue. The show is at In Contention. We're on Facebook, so you can look look us up on there and uh, and like us and keep uh, keep up with all the 
all the action there. And of course, uh, you should follow Star City Games at Star City Games for all of the uh, promotions and activities and events coming up. Absolutely. So until next week, we are in contention.